0: Welcome to the Be Inspired podcast. We explore the stories of people who may be like you. These are your neighbors, family members, and friends. The people you may think that you know, but you have never heard the details of their life story. Their successes, failures, and the people who have influenced them. Be inspired by their passion to pursue their dreams And join me as we discover and learn from people who are a quiet, supportive presence in our world. Join the journey to create your individual path to be inspired and have a well-lived life. So on the podcast today, we have Andrew Nagel. He's from... And I, and I get this right, Montana. Yeah. <laughs> he's from Montana. And he's a jewelry designer. And he does some amazing work with silver wire jewelry and gemstones. And we're going to talk more about his background, his training, and his business, and provide some information for our viewers and listeners so that you guys can find him, and just see what he does it's really cool stuff so andrew thank you very much for coming i'm excited to talk to you today
1: thank you so much for having me i'm excited to be here
0: so you were telling me a little fun fact about where you're at in montana you want to tell everybody about that yes uh, so i live in the uh, kind of middle most western part of the state
1: Uh, if you're looking at the state on a map, it kind of looks like a face on the uh, western side. We we live in what's considered the nose, in the nose of
0: the face. Oh, you live in the nose of the face. I like that.
1: Yeah, that's what uh, the local people
0: call
1: it. Being in Hamilton, Rimbalee County, Rimbalee County stretches almost the entire nose. And so that goes up into Missoula County, which a lot of people are familiar with Missoula. But yeah, so we live in the nose of Montana here.
0: So, Montana, compared to where I'm at, North Carolina, is, in my mind, probably sparsely populated. Is that what it's like out there?
1: Oh, yeah. Um, (laughs) I don't know the exact population of Montana as a state, but I know we broke one million like, I believe it was like 2008 or something, so it wasn't too terribly long ago. Um, we have gotten kind of an influx of people moving here over the past, honestly, four months, even, um, just, I believe, because of everything going on in, like, California and other states and stuff, and so, you know, people want to move to kind of more sparsely populated areas, and so now we're kind of becoming a bit more populated, uh, but yeah, I think our town has, like,
0: 5,000 people in it. Oh, wow. So, I mean... It's not tiny, tiny, but um, where I grew up
1: when um, when we first moved here in Stevensville, there was only a thousand people in the town
0: there. So That's really interesting. I'm really excited to get to talk to you about your jewelry designs and the different things that you've been doing, wire sculpture, wire weaving, wire wrap, and then also just casting and all that fun stuff. I've, I've dabbled in it a little bit. I'm not as skilled. I'm not as skilled as you are. <laughs> oh,
1: thank you. I, I'm not as skilled as many others out there. I've seen, a, I've seen some incredible work out there. It's so thank a, you. Um, it sounds like you've uh, followed a lot of work out there. So thank you for acknowledging mine. I appreciate
0: that. You're very welcome. What I'd like to do is talk about your interests and hobbies growing up. And then how you got involved in doing what you're doing with jewelry design. And then we can talk about your different pieces that you've designed and things that are challenging about it. Maybe sourcing of materials, uh, that type of thing. For sure. (laughs)
1: um, It was really interesting to be asked to do this because I've one never been asked to do it. And I honestly haven't really um, heard a lot of, at least the jewelers that I'm kind of friends with you know I haven't really heard a lot of them doing anything you know a couple of them do like live streams and stuff like that you know no one's really been on a podcast before so this was kind of like new grounds so to speak and so I was really excited
0: to do it (laughs) yeah well I'm happy to do it you said you grew up in in Stevensville and it's a rather small town what were your interests when you were a kid
1: a lot of video games when i was a kid um, <laughs> I, I i didn't have a whole lot of uh kind of guided crafts or skills that i was in as a kid i kind of did archery you know i spent a lot of time kind of more so in my imagination especially like when i was playing with friends and stuff we would make up kind of games and and stuff to play on in the schoolyard and whatnot so it, it, it was more so kind of creating stuff
0: to fill my time. So you're an imaginative, creative person, and I can tell from your jewelry pieces that that has transferred into your your art. I mean, I call it artwork because each piece that you do, it is a piece of art. It's amazing. They're all different. What uh, <laughs> what kind? Like of, yeah, what kind of training? did you have or come across in order to learn how to do this wire weaving and wire? I I, there's most people don't realize there's several different types of wire jewelry work. There's wire weaving, wire wrapping, and then sculptural wire pieces. And, and they, and you can actually combine all three into a piece of jewelry, but there are techniques that are, specifically defined to those three types of jewelry making how did you learn how to do this
1: Um, a lot of it was looking at photographs on Facebook and Instagram and just starting to follow other artists and in my head I would look at the photo of like whatever they've done and kind of think okay well I can see two or three wires going into here and then they've used another one to connect them here and Then I would, you know, after deconstructing that in my brain, I would then implement that into, you know, different fashions in my own work and try to evolve, you know, a particular style or something, you know. Because I didn't want to copy anyone, but you you can only learn from other people, of course. And so you're going to kind of have influences, but through those influences, you can find your own specific style that works for you.
0: I know that there are some wire jewelry makers out there that do training videos. Um, Someone that comes to mind is Preston Ruther. He's pretty well known for people in this specific niche of jewelry making. Are you familiar with his stuff or, or are there any specific people that you looked to to kind of learn technique from? Um, so in a
1: video regard or actual lessons, no, I've never, I, I'm, I'm actually not familiar with Preston either. I'm going to look him up after uh, <laughs> okay. we're done talking today because I'm, I'm very curious to see what he's got out there. But no, actually no official training. I didn't take any classes or like mentor with anyone. Um, there is like, there's some jewelers out here, but there's not really a whole lot of people into the wire designs out where I live. And. There's another artist in Missoula, um, Danny Iverson, but I, you know, I didn't run into him or interact with him a whole lot until I was already kind of like two years into the field myself. And so, wow. um, yeah, it was a lot of just stumbling and scrapping wires and breaking stones and just kind of fumbling until I found a word. To-
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, you talk about a uh, scrapping wire and breaking stones, and I think there's a lot of that in the in- in the learning process with with jewelry making in general. So, oh yeah, any art form, I feel, yeah. Yeah. So where do you find your materials at? You know, you've done you've done this for a while now. Um, I know that some people, when it comes to the stones that they use, they've gotten into the lapidary arts so that <laughs> they can do cabochoning and different things like that to have stones to use because you know it makes it cheaper, and then they can utilize what they cut. But what about you? What are your What are your some? What have you come across in terms of people to go to to get good supplies and to be able to put out a good product?
1: So many people, it's, and that's what I love about this field is that it doesn't just keep you contained to yourself. It, it kind of forces you to be more social, and it forces you to, to meet these other people and these sources. Um, One of my main sources, it's not really a person or an individual, but would be Rio Grande for most of my materials and some tools. I'm sure a lot of listeners um, are familiar with them. GNS Metals, I believe it's GNS Metals. They're a really good source for metals. um, But then as for stones, a lot of individuals, actually. I mean, I get cabochons from a good friend of mine, Patrick and Kayla Warner. Um, They're two really awesome people that I met through Facebook, actually. There are some gemstone lapidary artists that um, I haven't been able to work with yet, but I want to, like Dalvin Hargraves and Daryl Alexander, I believe is his name. I met him in Tucson at the beginning of this year, and he does gemstone carvings, and he's an incredible guy. I-, I believe, I forget where, I believe he's from Africa, though, and he's an incredible person. That was what was really cool about going to Tucson, and that's obviously another place to source materials and to meet some good connections is to go to gem shows either locally in your state where I've met some great people in my state, but then I've met some really stellar, you know, sources at Tucson. And then I recently went to the Denver Gem Mineral show, you know, um, COVID precautions fully taken and everything. (laughs) Uh, You can definitely meet some really good people through Facebook groups as well, honestly, Um, like all about the rocks and You've just really kind of got to stick your hands out everywhere you can
0: and meet these people. I've met some. There's this
1: really awesome, he's partially does cabochoning, but then he uh, also sources crystals and a few faceted materials and stuff. Uh, intuitive perceptions. Uh, Jordan Scharnwepper, I believe his last name is, through Instagram. Honestly, just happenstance running through these people's posts or then meeting them at gem shows and stuff. Well, yeah, just uh, everywhere you can meet
0: them. Yeah, well, it's really interesting that you mentioned the Denver uh, Gem and Mineral Show. I know that there are different Gem and Mineral Shows that are held at different times throughout the country. Um, the, the, the biggest one... Arguably worldwide would be Tucson. Tucson, because yeah. Because that's, that's where a lot of
1: international sellers come in and display their wares. I know there is a big show out in Vegas. I've never been myself. Um, but I believe Denver, at least in its golden years, was reportedly the, like the second biggest show in America.
0: It's really interesting. So each of your pieces that you make... They're very complex. Um, I've looked at pictures of several of your recent pieces before having the chance to talk to you to kind of see what you're what you lean toward when you do a design. The complexity is absolutely amazing. How much time? Yeah. How much time does it take you? You know, in general terms, I'm sure it's different for every piece, but in general terms, how much time does it take you to make one piece of jewelry?
1: Uh, Four hours to two to three days, depending on how complex the project is, how many stones we're putting in there, and just, you know, what totally has to be done to do it and hopefully do it right. There's still a lot of things I'm learning and tools I'm gathering to get into works like, you know, fabrication and casted works, Um, but for, for Wireworks, it takes about, I'd say, four to, like, three days. I would say was my longest piece. Actually, no, there was one piece that I did for a local client that was six inches tall. That piece took around two weeks total to finish. And so it can, it can take a long time.
0: <sighs> well, and that's the thing. Some of your pieces are fairly large. And you have multiple stones and really complex Design, I would think. Yeah, it would take quite a while to complete one.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it definitely does. Um, especially because there's so many different steps you have to go through. Um, at least for myself, I frame all of my pieces and I also draw them all out. Uh, I personally feel well. So before I started doing this, I was dabbling with music production. And one thing I learned when I was learning that was that if you start with, you know, a random idea in a song, at least, you're going to end up with a random product. And that's not to discredit anyone who does free flow kind of works in the wire world because there's definitely artists out there like Ben Capius is one that comes to mind who does incredible free flow works and they always look very stellar, very balanced. But I always feel that, you know, if you start with kind of a concept or an idea, then you're going to end up with a better product overall. And so once you once you start with your drawing and all that, then it goes through a framing process, and then a detailing and stone setting process, and then after that, there's a polishing process. and Sometimes after that, we do oxidization and then a repolishing. And so it can, it can take a very long
0: time. You know, talk a little bit about the oxidation, because I have seen photos of, that technique i'm not sure most people realize what goes into doing that can you talk explain a little bit about that
1: i believe there are some other ways to do it as well but the main way to do it would be with a liver of sulfur mixture like some sort of sulfur compound because the chemicals well, not just so much the chemicals but the sulfur mixture itself um patinas the silver and speeds up the process that it would naturally go through when it's exposed to oxygen in the air. And so it just darkens the silver, makes it black, essentially. And then if you leave it in there super long, it gets darker. If you just do it kind of for a little bit, you know, um, at a low temperature, it'll. you can get some interesting results with different colors and silver, but most people will just go straight to the dark silver and then do a repolish where you polish up the highlights and it kind of leaves... Sort of shadows and undertones of the darker silver, and creates a very nice contrast
0: in these. You know, when I first started looking at your jewelry pieces, I kind of got this feeling of, I would say, dragons, and I don't know <laughs> how else to say it, but kind of like um, medieval, kind of a medieval kind of feeling or flair to it, and maybe that's just my impression. Is that something that you kind of, what do you lean toward when you're doing your designs? I mean, what are you thinking about, especially since you're planning things out? Are you looking more about shape and balance? Or are you, do you have like a specific theme in mind? What what, what are your thoughts? Shape and
1: balance is definitely one thing that I, uh, that I strive for it. as an end result. I want the the shape to be good and the balance to be on point, even if it's an asymmetrical design. You know, I would hope that you know it can one balance the weight as a pendant, you know, being asymmetrical, but then you know, two, the design itself has the right spots built in to keep it all just aesthetically pleasing. But it's funny that you say dragons and evil because. One of my biggest influences, especially when I was younger, reading was J.R. Tolkien, and so Lord of the Rings. And um, I was really drawn to a lot of sort of medieval style lore, and uh, that's something that's followed me throughout my life. And it's not necessarily something that I would say is a specific directive when I'm going into designing a piece, but it's uh, probably something that's subconsciously influencing my designs. So there's, you know, I definitely have a lot of other influences throughout my life in like media and sort of like movies and books and things that I really like. And one of them kind of being like alien. And so, you know, I've gotten a lot of HR Geiger comments and I'm sure a lot of wire artists get that as well. Biomechanical themes as well is something that really plays into the wire designs. And so, um, yeah, those are, those are a few of the different sources I would say for my creative, sort of inspirations for science.
0: You know, it's interesting. You mentioned alien. I hadn't thought about it, but once you said it, I'm like, yeah, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah. (laughs) I
1: actually wasn't aware of H. I mean, I had seen alien, but I had, wasn't really aware of HR before getting into this field. And so, um, you know, once getting into it, then I had seen his work. And I was like, okay, I definitely see what people are saying here. Yeah. And um, and uh, even with the oxidized pieces, for sure. That and then the medieval theme. Like, I've done a couple of dragon carvings and pieces, um, these reverse of carvings that I've got. Jack Hoke, he's an incredible guy that I met uh, through gem shows and then through Facebook. Um, but, yeah, so I, I definitely like the medieval theme
0: as well. When it comes to choosing the specific gemstones that you utilize in your pieces? Are you looking for co- certain color combinations? Yeah. How do, I, I wondered how, how do you, how do you go about making that decision?
1: So at first when I was getting into the field, um, it was kind of an idea of like what stones want to be together. But then I really had to move away from that concept when I was moving, when I was really trying to, become a bit more professional about my designs. Um, And especially when I was wanting to expand what I was doing with my designs, because color plays a huge role when you're designing a piece. Placement of color, you know, and so that can affect where you're going to put your different stones. And uh, it's definitely something that goes into the first step when I'm designing a piece. And actually on my computer, I have, I believe it's got... 60 different color palettes on there, like different tones um, all in a wheel, and so that way you can see the progression of the colors through the rainbow, and you can see which colors oppose, as well as which ones you know work well together, and that kind of helps me a lot, and deciding what stones to accent a main stone. But generally, it'll start, my design will start with a main stone. You know, whether that be a faceted stone or a raw crystal, I'll start, you know, basing the rest of the colors off of that color, either matching it or opposing it to create, you know, just different types of themes and palettes and pieces.
0: That's really interesting that you're utilizing a color wheel to determine you know, which colors look good together and to get a good balance. Um, It's been an incredible help. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I noticed one of the pieces that you just finished was a ring that they wanted you to turn that, that was a family heirloom and they wanted you to do a bracelet. Yeah, Yeah. I felt so bad about that actually because the client was so incredible and he's still so incredible. Um, It was actually his late
1: fiance's ring and I had gotten a little confused when I made the post and I had said his So I felt really bad about that. But he's an incredibly kind guy and uh, really was just great to work with Um, and especially because of the fact that I had never done a bracelet before and I, I had never really seen a ring put in a bracelet, at least wire wise before and so it was a good push for me to try and Figure out how to bring it together. um, Just because I had never tried to do anything like that, let alone a bracelet, and so um, it was—it was a really good project to take on. Just because it helped me push my creative boundaries in that regard.
0: That's a really nice memento. It's really a wonderful idea.
1: I was super thrilled with it. I've had a lot of other people suggest things like you know, like if they had rings that were given to them when they were children that they could no longer wear that could be put into their, into a bracelet or something. And so it's given me a lot of ideas to expand upon.
0: Well, and that's one of the things I think as women, we have a lot of odd pieces of jewelry in our jewelry box that we're sentimentally attached to, but we don't mm-hmm. necessarily want to let go of it, <laughs> but yeah. we can't wear it. <laughs> so be I'm sure for men yeah. even as well.
1: Yeah. You know, that's a, a good way to turn a woman's ring into a men's fashion bracelet or something.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So uh, for everyone listening, if you've got stuff in your jewelry box that you want to take a second look at and maybe have it redesigned into a different piece of jewelry that is currently wearable and something that you could enjoy, you know, get in touch with Andrew. He's very talented (laughs) at (laughs) at transforming transmogrification.
1: out there are creating. Let's uh, figure out how to get you creating that as well. Um, oh, yeah. I'm all about teaching people and helping people expand their craft as well. So,
0: have you had the opportunity to teach other people since you've been doing this for a while now?
1: Not one on one. No. Yeah. <laughs> I've, uh, I've thought about doing that because I know a couple other artists like Steven Tyler uh, who does that. Um, he was doing in-person classes before. 2020 happened, and then um, he has been. At least I believe he was doing like an online seminar, uh, and so he's an incredible guy and a really talented artist. So he, he does some really good teaching
0: courses out there as well. You know, before we got online to do the interview, you and I were chit chatting a little bit about your Patreon page, and for people that are are not aware of it, Patreon is a business idea. But it's it actually is set up to support artists so of any kind, you know, whether it be music or jewelry or any type of artistic endeavor, you can go onto that page and you can get I would say subscriber type of information, but also uh, be able to support people that. You like their work. Can you talk to me a little bit about what your experience has been with Patreon? Oh, it's,
1: it's been incredible. Um, it's been a great way to expand who I can teach uh, because you know, not not only would I be limited to a local setting, but especially right now with you know, Corona going on and everything, we can't really get groups of people together, and so it's a really good way for um, not. Not just myself, but anyone who's putting like you know educational content out there to release content and then have you know your subscribers who can access it when they have the free time to do so. And yeah, it's uh, you can offer you know tutorials, you can offer merchandise through there as well on like a subscription basis sort of thing. One thing that I've seen work really well for artists, and I suggest this for a lot of people out there, is to just set one up have a really low base tier, maybe like $2 or $3 that just kind of gets you some support. And, you know, as an artist, you need as many different revenues of income supporting your art as you can. It's a great
0: way to just get a little bit of backing there from some people who just want to see you do better in your field. Well, and that's the thing about it too. I think artists learn from each other and, you know, as the internet has Opened up in the last couple of decades, and especially like what you said with COVID, I think a lot more people are jumping online to interact than yeah, than um, doing the interactions as, in person as much as we used to. Um, this has become kind of an opportunity to explore and learn oh, yeah. and learn about new things, and for people to you know find out about different types of art in general that they may not have been exposed to before. Now's the opportunity to, to spend time doing that.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I found myself getting into a few of my old hobbies as well. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's talk a little bit about your company name. I find that very interesting. I wondered if it had anything to do with the Valkyries in, yes. in, <laughs> in, in some Nordic mythology type of thing.
1: Yeah, um, it does. Uh, back in high school, um, I was introduced to Nordic mythology in English class. We'd read a lot of Greek mythology and then also uh, Norse mythology. And one thing that had just kind of always stuck out to me was the concept of the Valkyries. And the Valkyries were... Generally, maidens—they were kind of spirits that would ferry the souls of fallen soldiers to Valhalla uh, when they had fallen on the battlefield. Um, but kind of my idea with it, with the jewelry concept, is it's like each piece is kind of like a little guiding spirit that will guide you through your journey of life.
0: Then, so it's really interesting how you came up with that. So it sounds like it's kind of your philosophy for life, maybe.
1: Yes. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Well, it's had some influence on you, so I it definitely
1: has, um, <laughs> just that concept. I feel, I feel everyone has that guiding spirit, or you know, that Valkyrie. And so, um, you know, it's not necessarily maybe just what the Norse people had such a great respect of it being like falling in battle or something. But you know, everyone has that guiding spirit, and so
0: yeah. I feel it, I, not so much in
1: a metaphysical sense with crystals, but you know, just I, I feel all sorts of you know, either totems or talismans or whatever you'd want to call it, you know, that intent that's put into an object can kind of become that guiding thing, you know. Kind of like kids have, you know, a blanket or a favorite stuffed animal. When you grow up, that becomes kind of a different thing, you know. Maybe that becomes either jewelry. For a lot of people, that's probably their cell phone. Um, You know, and hopefully kind of putting that intention to that art, you know, can kind of in other people's perspectives to to feel that influence in things. If that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Well, now that you said that, it's true. I think our phones have become our jewelry. Um, (laughs) And then (laughs) then then that makes
1: probably with us more than you know. Most people wear jewelry, obviously. Well,
0: and uh, now I'm sitting here and I'm thinking that might be a design idea for you: is uh, wire-designed cell phone covers. yeah that full of definitely full of gemstones I've,
1: <laughs> I've seen some interesting uh some wire designs out there uh, I, I gosh i can't think of her name right now i've i met her at tucson and then also in Denver as well um, i just can't think of it right now but she's done wire wrapping for probably about like longer than, than i've been in it for sure um she's been doing it for about like 20 years now 30 years maybe and she makes wire-wrapped sunglasses, and she had been doing some with uh, tourmaline slices. And so this giant tourmaline slices, you know, obviously big enough to go over your eye. And, and wire-wrapped those. And so I thought that was pretty interesting as well.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> There's
1: definitely some innovators out there in the wire designs. I, f- I feel like wire-wrapping a cell phone case would take a lot of silver.
0: <laughs> yeah, it probably would. It, pr- it might be uh, cost prohibitive. <laughs>
1: silver into other pieces you'd, you'd be amazed what people would be willing to, to fund if they're, if they're really wanting that design.
0: Yeah that's very true you could do a, um, a what do they call it a, a, a when they do something and it's like a promotional piece you could do a promotional piece uh, to show that you're capable and then see if you get any bites on the line Oh yeah <laughs> Charger or something, too. You never know. Well, you know, they're dipping AirPods in gold. I don't know if you've seen that, but there's a. I have not seen that, but it
1: doesn't surprise me. I've I've seen quite a few interesting things, electroformed in gold,
0: yeah. Yeah, I, I watched an artist, he took a pair of iPods apart, iPod earbuds apart, and did some casting and actually came up with replacement pieces for the plastic that are in gold that clip together like plastic does and put it all back together. And he had some gold ones. It was pretty cool. Yeah, it was cool. Um, That
1: reminds (laughs) me of another local artist actually here in Hamilton. Actually, I believe he lives a bit south, but his shop used to be here in Hamilton. Um, His name's Ren Patch. Uh, Void Deform is his business name. He's an incredible guy. And he does, he has, like, a strictly molten mentality, so he's smelting all of his metals in-house, and then he's swarming them into his jewelry. Um, but he casted two really interesting things, the first one being a Tetris game. Oh, and really? What what I mean is the old uh, Game Boy, plug-into-your-Game Boy game, Yeah. Game he casted the plastic sides and then took the chip, put it into the metal parts, and made a functioning game out of this pendant. But it was the it's the whole Tetris chip, and he studded it out with a bunch of sapphires and stuff, and it, it functions like you can plug it into a Game Boy and play it. Oh but my
0: goodness! It's a, it's a goodness.
1: solid metal pendant, <laughs> um, and so I thought that was pretty cool. And then he had a a um, praying mantis for a pet for a while and then the praying mantis passed um but then he um decided to uh cast the praying mantis as well and it actually turned out pretty good he's got a little silver praying mantis now um,
0: that's just absolutely amazing that people think to do these things yeah Yeah. just pushing the boundaries pushing the boundaries i love it Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of surprised with the culture that we have in the western states in America, the native uh, American culture, the first nations culture. I'm a little I'm a little surprised that you don't have leanings that direction and the reason that I say that is because I having traveled in the west and living in Nebraska for a few years, I feel that a lot of the influence in the art is Native American to some extent out there. What are your thoughts about that? Uh,
1: I definitely see that influencing casted jewelry for sure. One person that comes to mind is uh, Paradigm Jewelry Sarah. I forget what her last name is. Um, but she's an incredible jeweler out of California, and she has a lot of stuff that's kind of, I would say, like Navajo themed and whatnot. She does some hammered uh, arrowhead pieces and stuff like that out of metal and a lot of turquoise and stuff, and so that's what makes me think of that. Um, so much in the wire designs, I, I don't know. Um, I can't really say that I've ran into a lot of Native American influence in the wire field when I've been in gem shows, but that's just from my personal experience. Um, I definitely have seen a lot more of kind of the beaded type of jewelry. And so I've uh, unfortunately not seen any wire elements mixed in with that, but I think that would be really neat, you know, especially because you're working with so many small pages, you know, you could, a lot of different cool weaves going on with crystal beads and stuff. And so I don't know why anyone hasn't really explored that
0: more. That That would be interesting to see. The reason I brought that up also is just because I would think culturally that there would be a lot of, influence on what artists lean toward maybe the fact that you are not someone... I think it's
1: because I have some weird interests Yeah, I'm into some weird stuff <laughs> uh, you know just being the Lord of the Rings stuff and sci-fi fantasy um, there are a lot of artists here locally in Montana definitely especially painters yeah. have a lot of that influence and it's gorgeous it's incredible artwork there's uh, some leather workers here in town do some credit and they're not native americans themselves but you can definitely tell where they're getting their influence from you'd be amazed especially where i live at least in hamilton uh there's not a whole lot of native american-owned businesses or art influences a bit more uh, i would say north and then also kind of northeastern um there's a lot more of the tribal reservations and so you'll see a lot more of the native american Sorry,
0: there for sure. it's interesting because you don't i don't know how to say this but you you say that your interests are probably not mainstream but i honestly think that with the with the movies and things that have come out in the last decade it's actually longer than that now for the peter jackson movies for the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings. I think a lot of that oh, stuff yeah. is a lot more mainstream than what it used to be. Used to oh, used to you, yeah. if you wanted to know about it, you had to read the book, and it's a it's a it's a what they call a tome. It's a you know, yeah. it's not a light read, it's <laughs> not a light
1: read and, and and so you wrote a lot of other expanding stories as well. You know, if, if you're familiar, you know the kind of timeline that Lord of the Rings is broken up into ages, and so he's got books from ages before the events of the movies and even after and stuff there's a lot of even more expanded influence there and stuff and, and not even just that i mean uh, alice in wonderland has been kind of a big influence for me actually when i started off uh the first like year and a half maybe two years while i was doing this um my idea was that it was going to be the mad hatter productions instead of Dog Nine Designs but then I googled the Mad Hatter Productions one day and I found out that wasn't really original
0: <laughs>
1: and decided I had to do a bit of a rebranding
0: there. What are your plans for your business for the future? I know that right now things are kind of up in the air with COVID in terms of going to art shows and craft fairs and that type of thing and it sounds like you've you've done you do quite a bit of work online do you think that you're just going to continue to press forward in the um internet markets and see where that takes you
1: i recommend that everyone do that especially just with this year alone i mean internet traffic has gone up exponentially I don't know exact numbers, but it's just everyone's online right now. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> I hate to say that, but you know, I, I'm definitely someone who's big on outdoors and being outdoors and being with people. But you know, just the times that we're in right now, it's kind of what we're dealing with, and so you know, we adapt and keep moving. But I think adapting in that sense is also good, just because that's where. A lot of the times are going. I mean, a lot of things are digital anymore, and so uh, it's just it's just a good way to reach people who you wouldn't be able to reach if you're just focused locally. You know, I've um, I just recently sent a piece out to Taiwan, so that was really cool. And I've I have I believe two pieces over in Germany, a couple in Canada, and so it's just really neat to see the the extended reach that you can get in the online market market spaces. And so I think it's just a good idea for everyone who's got a small business to expand into that and keep looking into it. Um, I definitely want to, once things open back up, I want to keep going back to shows and displaying things. Um, My last two journeys out to Tucson and Denver were more kind of jet sourcing than displaying my work. mainly because I didn't have anywhere to display it, uh, there was going to be a gallery exhibit at the Denver show, but then everything kind of fell apart with that just with the whole coronavirus restrictions and stuff. The online market spaces, um, you know, in person things when we can, and then also a teaching, I kind of want to expand that as well, at least with the videos and then hopefully um, an in person thing at some point. My goal with Balcony Designs though is to hopefully bring in other artists as well in the future. It's kind of built into the way that I set my company up that I could potentially bring in other people that would actually have a stake in it. You know, once it gets to that point, I don't want it to just be my work. You know, at some point I want to help other artists, you know, get their work out and promote and do things like that. So, um, just unfortunately, right now I'm just at the point where I kind of have to focus on my own thing, until it's up to the point where I can
0: do that. Yeah, and I understand that it takes a while. To yeah. do, it takes a while to build a business and get your it name does. out there. Um yeah. I,
1: I picked up my first wire in 2015. I've only been doing this uh, just coming onto the tail end of five years, and so it's uh, it's definitely been a whirlwind of a journey so far. Um, but yeah. What the future does hold for not only myself, but hopefully a lot of small businesses too. I hope this next year brings a lot of things back for people.
0: Yeah, I do too. You know, I didn't even ask you, Andrew, if this is your main source of income or if this is actually just a hobby business.
1: So, like I said, I started in twenty fifteen, and then I was working a day job back then. Um, I left that job in twenty eighteen, and in May of twenty eighteen. And I've just been doing this since, and this is all I've been doing throughout uh, 2020 as well.
0: Well, that's awesome. I'm really excited for you.
1: You know, Montana doesn't have incredibly high taxes and stuff like that. There's not, like, an extra tax when you go to the grocery store and stuff like that. So it's pretty inexpensive to to survive here. And so I'm (laughs) I'm definitely very blessed to have been where I've been uh, throughout.
0: This whole thing. Is there anything else that you would like to add that you think people would would want to know about yourself or what you do?
1: Well, uh, just at least in regards to getting started, because I'm sure that you have a lot of listeners who are either just um, starting this craft or just getting their, their toes wet in the pool, so to speak. Um, my my best my best suggestion in getting started is to just dive in. Just you know, get some cheap craft wire. And get some cheap stones and just mess it up. Mess up a design, mess up five designs, and learn what doesn't work so that way you can learn what does work, you know. I mean, isn't that how Edison figured out how to make the light bulb? <laughs> um, and so we have to kind of fumble our way through the first little bits and that's okay. Like your first your first pendant's gonna be bad. My first pendant was bad and that's okay. You've got to kind of make some bad stuff before you can start making some good stuff. And what matters is your dedication. Um, Like when I was working a day job, I would have to go to that job at 10. And so what I started doing was waking up at 5 in the morning. And then at 6 a.m. I would be at the desk working on stuff, if not a little bit before that, up until the point that I would have to leave to work and then I would go to work for eight hours and come back and just start working on it again if I could. Just, I, I honestly feel that putting in that time is really what evolved it to the point of not having to be at that job anymore. And that's my recommendation for a lot of people, even on those days when you don't feel like pushing, whether it's this craft or another craft or whatever it is you're doing, just kind of push and just get into it and just do it.
0: I completely agree. It really is about being fearless and just being willing to jump in the middle of it and learn with your feet on the ground, so to speak. <laughs> At least for myself, that's, uh, that's definitely what works. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and um, be open to all
1: sorts of influence. I mean, there is really no wrong, I mean, there's a lot of wrong ways to make sure but there's, there's really no kind of wrong way to do it, quote unquote, you know? yeah. um, You know, there's a lot of different tools, there's a lot of different styles, there's a lot of different techniques of stone setting, and so don't limit yourself. You know, just because you're working with wire doesn't mean that at some point you can't mix in some fabrication elements with that, and just because you start working in solid metal doesn't mean you have to necessarily forget the wire. You can always find new and creative ways to make something
0: incredible. I love that you said that because I really agree that you can combine the different types of metal crafting and come up with some really cool jewelry designs and i think as people as the as the ability to do different techniques has changed and expanded with the tools that are out there now i think a lot of jewelry designers have gotten much more creative in their thought processes in terms of technique combining and there's just a lot out there that's really neat. There's no reason to, in my mind, ever go to a department store and just pick up a run-of-the-mill set of earrings off the rack. There's stuff out there that's amazing and beautiful, and I, I love the idea of people supporting these creatives Because, trust me, you will get a lot more compliments (laughs) with a pair of...
1: will you'll get something
0: more unique as well.
1: um, Because the sad, ultimate truth of K's and Jared's and a lot of those places is just that they've got a lot of kind of factory-produced stuff. And while there's, there's definitely a place for that, and I'm not disregarding skill that's put into you know their stuff as well i mean even a lot of the jewelers that work for them under the radar make their own stuff because they feel that what they're making for that company isn't very creative yeah you find something much more unique and probably even more valuable in the long term from an independent artist i mean there's this artist jack rigsby who um i've followed him since i started in this and he was a wire artist and now he's working more in solid metal works and casted works and he appraised one of his bracelets for over $24,000. So I was like, holy cow. You know, I, I don't know what he sold it for, but, you know, it's incredible to, to see that you can push yourself from, you know, just wire and then evolve into something much bigger and much, you know, more creative. And, yeah. you know, it's just incredible to see where it can take you.
0: Well, I'm excited to see where you go in the future with your techniques because I'm sure that... You will change as you grow. I am. I'm very excited to see what you come up with, and I will definitely continue to follow you on Facebook. Um, in terms of contact information, if someone were to want to get in touch with you to have a piece of jewelry designed, what would be the best way for them to do that?
1: Valc9designs.com is my website, and you can message me on there, and that goes straight to my email, which is valc9designs.gmail.com. So either of those two are a great way to get in touch with me. You can also find me on Facebook or social media under Andrew Nagel or about nine designs. It's pretty easy to find me. Okay. <laughs> under, if you look up about nine, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one. You can find my business page or my personal page and contact me on the
0: Well thank you so much Andrew for being on the podcast today I really enjoyed speaking with you about your artwork and like I said I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with in the future
1: Thank you so much for the opportunity. Uh, I hope I didn't talk too fast. (laughs) I, I, I really appreciate it. It was very fun
0: For more information about this podcast and our guests you can go to BeAlifeWellLived.com. Check out our online magazine, Be Inspired, like our Facebook page, follow us on Instagram, and listen to our episodes on Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and Google Play.